0: told me, I think there was a miracle. It, it, it most definitely was a miracle. Um, guys, we want to expect that. We want to we see this stuff happening. We want to expect this because that's who Jesus is. It's, he's the healer. He doesn't heal. He is the healer. And so we want to expect these things to happen. Pray and, and, and just ask God regularly, God, I want to I I be part of the supernatural. I want you doing supernatural things in my life. Um, we, I did want to just mention, I have been talking the last couple of weeks about um, some of the stuff with our space and some of that, and we're, we're obviously okay this morning, so I'm not asking you to do anything. Um, but as as we've seen over the last three, four, five weeks, that we're going to have to do some things when it comes to uh, getting everybody in this room and this service. Uh, and so if we may have to ask you to move in at different times, we'll have some of the uh, greeters, ushers come by and tell you things. Um, just, just do what they say uh, within reason. Like, I mean, they could say something a little bizarre. Don't do that. But uh, just do what they say within reason. We're trying to do this. We're also talking to some places around town to wh- how we can, how we can um, accommodate some stuff. Specifically, once we start building, we're going to be displaced for a while. So we're, we're looking at some, some things with that. And hopefully next week I'll be able to show you the, the uh, finished plans of what, we're, what we've got planned. I probably could have shown them to you this week, but our architect was hunting. Some people are so selfish. And so... Uh, but we'll try to be able to show that to you um, next week. I, I, I do want to also mention, please, I know, I know many of you have been praying earnestly for our elections and everything that's coming up this week. Regardless of what happens this week, there's a couple things to, to, to keep in mind. Keep praying. Okay, regardless of what happens, keep praying. If you see this as a positive or, or a negative, keep praying. Uh, the what I've been kind of worried about in in, in watching this over the last six months or, or more than that now, is I see I see an intensity in the church I haven't seen in a long time. I see a, a hunger, and I've also, as I've been saying for quite a while now, I have seen a um, a, um, a thinning out kind of mentality. And I, and I don't want to overstate this because I think you got to be careful when you go down this road. It's it's not always healthy when you're under the assumption that God is is um, pruning. And you've been left. That there's a there's a potential little bit of arrogance that can come in there that you want to be careful of, right? But uh, I really do believe that that all of the stuff that we're seeing now is an opportunity for the church to rise up and really be who God's told them to be. And uh, and I think that some situations will truly be weeded out in the process. But but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think I think the church has got to I think the church has got to peel off the layers before we can get back to life. And bring and bring these layers back. And so I do think that's what's been happening. I, I don't what I'm worried about with all of this is three, four, five months from now when everything kind of starts calming down or whatever, that people go back to just kind of normal. You know, we were kind of doing church before and that was good enough and it was kind of comfortable. Let's go back to just doing church again. Guys, we need to be on our face before God and seeking Him. We've got to be hungering for Him. We've got to be hungering for His Word and and for His plan. And uh, and here's some things that are not gonna change uh, after this election, regardless of who gets elected, here's what's not gonna change. We're still gonna be, as a country, we're still gonna be murdering hundreds of thousands of babies. Uh, That demands we pray. Now, I do believe that we have the pieces in place for the first time in quite a few decades to to really fight against abortion. I, I really believe we have the pieces in place, but it's still not gonna happen without prayer of the people. It's just not going to happen, and so we got to pray. Another thing that's going to be happening is that's not going to change. We're still trafficking kids from all over the world. And I had somebody ask me a while back, a few months ago. I said, "So you're telling me we're talking about trafficked kids, and trafficking is a horrible thing all over the country, and it's very, very strong in America. Um, most of you know about Sarah's Home. Our church supports Sarah's Home. I used to be uh, on the board of Sarah's Home. We 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 know the numbers. We know the statistics." and we had brought girls into Sarah's home that had been prostituted and trafficked for years. By the time they got to us, they were 12. And they had been prostituted and trafficked for a long time. And so guys, this does happen. And somebody asked me, so you're saying there's like uh, little boys and girls trapped in people's basements in, in America. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That is happening. That is happening right here in Colorado Springs. And that we have to be praying about that. We have to be expecting God to break the strongholds. Our country is an evil country. We are a dark, perverted country, and we need God to break the strongholds. And what I would like to also see happen is to see all through Washington and Hollywood that, that people go to jail, that, that, that there is a broken, that they break the pedophile rings and they break the junk. Not only is going to happen through prayer, okay? Um, which, but I do believe that part of the reason that the, in fact, I think there's probably more than we know to this, part of the reason that the leftists hate Trump so bad is because he is tearing away at those things. Uh, the first president and yes. ever that's tearing those things apart. And so, yes. Yes. so yeah, I did want to do one of the things this morning. This is what's called a bully pulpit. Um, you guys know what a bully pulpit is? I'm about to give you an example of a bully pulpit. I want to show you a couple of pictures. I'll wait here. That's my granddaughter and my grandson along with her. All right. That's called bully pulpit. <laughs> Thank you for using the bully pulpit. With that response, I'll do it more often. Okay, Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> so, so we don't have the scriptures on the screen this morning, so you're going to have to actually use your own phones. Or and here's a crazy one: there are actually Bibles in the seats in front of you. Those are the books. Those are the blue books. You open them. They're books. They have like covers and pages and stuff like that. And uh, and if you're confused, we're going to go to Mark chapter four. Go to the beginning of the New Testament. Turn right. It's just a little bit that direction. Um. So so I'm I'm thinking about this with. You realize that 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 um, this week is is. The under the visualization of the amazing transition that our country is going through, the horrific transition they're going through um, this week is the culmination of that. I, I really do believe and I I um, I, I really do believe that, that Trump is going to win the election. I believe that strongly. Um, and I think I think I'm in there really seeking God. I do believe that's going to happen. But again, regardless of whether he gets elected or not, our, our country's not the same. And we will not be the same after next week. I, I really strongly believe that that our country is never going to be the same. I think we are in the I think we are in the the funnel of of headed toward uh, the end times. I think we're in. I don't mean last days as in years or even um, like year. I'm saying months potentially that we're we're stepping into the last days. Now again, I'm pre-tribulation rapture guy, so I think the church is going to be raptured. But if it's not, uh, I think the tribulation starts here pretty soon anyway, uh, with that being the case. So the reason I'm saying that is because I, I know that we serve an amazing supernatural God. I know we do. What we have to do is we have to bow to him to, for him to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. Uh, that's the goal with that. So Mark chapter 4, and also if you don't have one of these communion packets, we want to make sure you get one. Uh, does anybody not have one? No, well, you guys did good. that. You're the only one? Then you're on your own, bro. I don't know. I not want to tell you. All right. See the sacrifice I made right there? All right. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. You know, sometimes you miss little things like that, although other boats followed. When this big old storm happens and all this stuff, you don't understand there's other boats out there and not by themselves. What does that matter? I don't know. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Why was Jesus sleeping? I think we know this because he wasn't worried. He was he was calm about this. It wasn't an issue. It's the same thing. This, this, um, this has happened a couple different times over the years, not major, not recently, but years ago. Lynn and I would be on an airplane together, and she would get very nervous. She used to be very afraid of flying. And, and um, I, would, I would be asleep because that's what you do on planes, right? And I would be asleep and be and going to turbulence, and she would shake me or, or keep nudging me until I woke up. And, uh, and then she would say something like, how can you sleep with this kind of turbulence? Well, if you would have backed up about 12 seconds and just looked at me instead of waking me up, you would have known how I could have slept during turbulence. But now that you've woke me up, I'm awoke during turbulence. Um, this, is, this is what is happening to Jesus here. He's not worried about this. He's not, this is not stressing him. He's asleep. He's taking it easy. And they said, the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? That is not a fair sentence. That that sounds almost like the reporters asking Trump sentences, right? Here's the assumption that they are under. We're going to drown. That's the assumption. We're going to drown and Jesus doesn't care. That's why they ask him the question, don't you care that we're going to drown. And, and Jesus' first thought had to have been, who says you're drowning? Who says it's going to get to that point? This is some of the stuff that I'm seeing in society today is this, this fear, and the fear is based upon an assumption that something bad is already happening to you and that you are a pawn within this thing and you're going to be carried down the river of this horrible tragedy mentality and you're the next one that's going to get sick and or die. That's the, uh, that's the assumption that's happening with this. And I see this, although I've only had this happen once to me where somebody asked me um, about a mask, Right? Uh, That was, it was a long time ago. It was at the beginning of the COVID thing. We were in the grocery store, Lynn and I were, and I had my mask on, or I didn't have a mask. I don't remember the details now, but I just remember I sneezed into my arm and this lady next to us came over and said some mean things to me. And I held myself fairly well. I just told her, I said, ma'am, it is not attractive when you're rude like this. (laughs) And that's all I said. And Linda's standing there beside me, you know, pat me on the arm, that kind of thing. You know, if you're the spouse that does the patting, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but, I mean, that's the only thing that I've seen happen to me personally, but I've seen online and videos of things where people will try to make people feel bad and guilty, and they're scared to death. They're scared to death that, that they're on the brink of, of horrible um, sickness and dying. And guys, statistically, still, still, it's less than 1% of people that die from this. Less than 1%. And so, why, why are we so scared? This, the disciples are in the exact same place here. They are scared to death. The storms come up. Now, now, just like what we're kind of experiencing here in our country, they're kind of experiencing this too. This was a fairly new thing to them. They're out in a storm. They've been out in storms before. They had to have are fishermen, right? They've been out in storms before, and they're worried that they're going to die, and then they go back there to, to talk with Jesus, and he is asleep. Okay? So their assumption is now think about what they're doing. They're talking to Jesus, the guy that created the water they're floating on. Right? They're talking to the guy that created the air, they're talking to the guy that created the ground. That the water is sitting on that they will sink to the depths of if they drown. Like, that's not the way I wanted that to go. They are, they, Jesus created a thing. They walk back to Jesus and they say, don't you care that we're going to drown? Because they had already made up their mind that they were defeated. And Jesus gets irritated with this. Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence be still. Now it appears to me, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, when, when you think about it, you see it in movies and stuff like that. It's like he stood up, he, the, the dramatic happens here, right? He stops, he pauses, he gets up out on the front of the boat, you know, and he does the whole silence, you know, in big God voice, be still. I don't think that, that's not the way it says it. It says, um, he woke up, he rebuked the wind, said to the wave, silence, be still. And he says it with, with, um, with, Uh, strongness sternness i don't think he was saying with sternness for dramatic effect for the movies i think what he was doing was he was irritated with the disciples and when he stands up and he says silence be still because here's his next sentence suddenly the wind stopped there was a great calm and then he asked why are you afraid now for the disciples it would be well obviously jesus there was a storm that's why we're afraid No, you're not afraid because there's a storm. Guys, this is important for us to understand theologically and personally. You're not afraid because there is a storm. You are afraid because you are assuming the storm is bigger than God. You're assuming that the storm is going to defeat you. That's why they're afraid. They are not afraid because there is a storm. We we've got to get this in our personal walk with the Lord. It is it is the fear of the stuff. It is the fear of the defeat. It is the fear of being taken down by this. It is the fear that 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 combats the faith that Jesus is actually bigger than what's going on. I, I still see. I was having this conversation yesterday. There are still churches all over Colorado that are not having services at all. Now here's the thing with me: the the won the court case two weeks ago. No churches are, are under obligation by the governor's rules to not have services, to have masks, to social distance, none of that stuff. All of that's been overruled in the courts. And yes, Governor Polis is upset and he's fighting back. But as of right now, the, courts have won, the church has won in the courts against the governor and there are no rules for us now. So, so here's the thing. I, I do believe this is a major win for the church. I, I I think I am glad that churches are standing up. Should have done this a long time ago. But here's the thing for me: if this is the case, why are there still churches not having church? It's fear. It's fear. I, I think there's got to be a small percentage of just some lazy pastors too, right? They're like this is so much easier than like pastoring. So, um, which which quite honestly, I'm telling you, if you the, the more you know me, the more you know this is true. I cannot imagine just not preaching. I can't imagine that. I, that, would, that would drive me crazy. I, this is, I'm in the middle of my zone right now more than any other thing I do as a pastor. In fact, there's a lot of things I don't even like to do as a pastor. I care for people. That's not how on my list.
1: <laughs> but I'm in
0: the zone right now. <laughs> so, Some of you are like, I knew it. Now look what he says. He says, "Why are you afraid?" That's the first question. Why are you afraid? And here's the next. Here's the next question, which I think we always attach to the "Why are you afraid?" But I think he's attaching to the big picture because when he asks the question, "Why are you afraid?" that is the bigger picture. When he says, "Why are you afraid?" he is he is asking, "Why is is this little storm causing you fear? It shouldn't be. This storm should not be causing you fear." So why are you afraid? And they're arguing, but, well, there's a storm. No. Why are you afraid? The storm is not the problem. It's what's going on in here that's the problem. Why are you afraid? And then he says, do you still have no faith? Now, here's the simple. Here's, here's, here's the first thing that I, I want to, point one of this that I want to get across is that we've got to have faith. We've got to have faith. And the second point is because, uh, um, well, faith comes from God's word. So if we have faith, faith will combat whatever's going on in our life a fear because it comes from God's word. God's word chases fear out. Faith in God, which comes from his word, chases away fear. I really believe that the reason there's so many people across our country that are scared to death of this is because they don't know God. They're scared to death because somewhere they're more afraid of something than they have confidence in God. You say, well, there really is um, a, a, a virus called uh, COVID. Nobody's, di- nobody's denying that. There is, and there have been people that have died from it. Now, not 200,000. CDC said it was 10,000, 10, okay? But even then, let's say it was 200,000. Does that change who Jesus is? Does that ch- change who he is in your life? At what point do we just throw our hands up and say, I guess God can't do anything and I'm scared? Because that's, that's what their process. what's going on here. Because at some point when he's asking, what, what, don't you have faith? I don't think he's just asking, don't you have faith to chase out the fear, which is the first element. Faith chases out fear. But I believe what he's saying, follow this, is he saying, why couldn't you stop the storm? Why couldn't you do this? Okay, so, so let's, let's go just to, to the basics of understanding Scripture and who Jesus is in human flesh. He says everything that he could do, you're going to be able to do, and you're going to be able to do even greater things. And this is always the way I ask it. Do you really believe that? ask yourself this. Do you really believe that everything Jesus could do, you can do, and you can even do greater things? Why? Because Jesus operated as a man full of the Holy Spirit. He did not operate as God. You're operating as a man, woman full of the Holy Spirit. You're not operating just as a human. You are operating as somebody that is a temple of the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, to accomplish supernatural things. That's what he's called you to. He's what he's called me to. He's called all of us to this. But at the end of the day, we either believe this or we don't. And, and let's own it a little bit here. We Every one of us in this room really need to believe it more. No matter who we are, we need to believe it more. Because why? We've got to see God doing supernatural things in our life. So when he wakes up and he is frustrated, and he looks at the wind quickly. I, I really believe that was kind of a sideline thing. He wakes up he looks, just peace be still. i got to talk to these guys. The wind shut down. They're like, yes, sir. The wind shut down. And then he looks at the disciples and said, what's the problem? Why are you scared? Don't you have faith? Couldn't you have done this? At the very least, couldn't you have just ridden the storm out knowing you're not going to die? Jesus had already told them. Prophecy, Scripture had already told them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years how Jesus was going to die. And it wasn't drowning Right? See, all of this is mixed up in the same thing. How did they see Jesus? How did they, because even when this is over, we see that they didn't believe that Jesus could have done this either. They, they, let's look at it. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man that they asked each other? Even the wind, is, and, the wind and waves obey him. Who is this man? This man is God in human man. This is God in human flesh. And he came to this earth, so what? According to John 1, so we could see the glory of God in human flesh guess what's supposed to happen we're supposed to see the glory of God in your human flesh too but they couldn't even recognize that Jesus could do this there's no way they could recognize they could do this this is where I I believe we labor in the American church is we struggle believing Jesus can do this stuff that's why we don't expect us to be part of it that's why I, I really believe this, this is why miracles don't happen much more regularly in our existence, in our lives, and right here at Church of Bargate. Because we're laboring under pretense that can't is the operative word instead of can. Won't is the operative word instead of will. We process starting with the, with the starting point of it probably is not going to happen, but I'll pray anyway. Instead of looking at the wind and the waves and saying, I'm a child of the king of this wind. I'm a child of the king of these waves. I'm a child of the king of this disease. I'm a child of the king of this planet. And if I'm the child of the king, then there's nothing that can't. Everything can. But we've got to get to that place. And that's what I think he's saying to the disciples here. You're afraid because why? You're just not really believing. You're not really believing. I still see many good Christians... They're scared to death. I'm not saying they're wearing masks. I don't think that wearing a mask is a proof of being afraid. Um, we, have, we have a handful of people in the church, predominantly come to first service. That's the only service they come to. That wear masks and things like that, but they have reasons why they do that, and they're legitimate reasons. Okay? They're very legitimate reasons. But that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm saying the fear that I also see creeping into people's lives, that they're scared to death. Scared to death, they're going they're gonna, something horrible is going to happen. I could name things all day long, but scared to death that horrible things are going to happen. At what point is God bigger than anything else? What about finances? Right now it's sick, but what about finances? Because I told you, I really believe that's the next step we're coming to, and I believe that the um, that the election is the time frame that makes the next transition into our existence. I really believe that the next major push in our country demonically is gonna be a financial push. I, I really, I don't know exactly how, but it's gonna be based around greed. Greed, selfishness, those kinds of things. And I, I may be totally wrong about that, but, but what happens when, when finances fail? What happens when the stock market crashes? What happens? Every single time some major stock market crash happens, people are, people are jumping out of building windows and killing themselves and all kinds of stuff. Why? That was, that was numbers on a paper. Well, I, I've just lost everything. How much? How much did you have when you were born? Think about that. Go with that. And I said that to one guy years ago. I'm like, you were born with nothing. Yeah, I'm naked too. You want me to walk around naked? That's not. You, I'll give you. I'll give you a coat. All right. Let's not take that too far. But th- but there is some truth to that, guys. We. We build up and accumulate and then we start putting our hope in that. What is the difference between that and what Jeremiah says? That you carve your own idols out of wood and stone and then you set them up and you worship them. You created it and then it becomes your hope. What is the difference between that and what we do in our country today? We build it up and then that becomes our hope. What if you went completely broke tomorrow? You know what? You would make it. You would. You just would. Some of you are like, I don't even want to think like that. Because it's 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 because we put so much hope in that, that that kind of stuff scares us. It scares us. But God's still God. God can Jesus steps up into our life and he can look right at the finances and say, Peace be still. There's no difference. What he's wanting us to do is to be the ones that say that. So the first thing again, we need faith. The second thing is faith comes from God's word. So let's look at this in Romans chapter 10. Now the very end of this, the very last sentence here is where, um, is the one that gets quoted all the time. Faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. But I want to get before that, let's just back up some into the scripture and let's, let's go down through it because there's a reason why that sentence is so important at the end. It's not really, even though we do this horribly with scripture, we make standalone sentences, right? We take a sentence out, we take a verse out and that becomes like our verse and our sentence. But it's actually much bigger usually, almost always, it's bigger than just that sentence. There's a whole lot more attached to it. And when you get the bigger picture, it gives that sentence weight. It makes sense when you get to that sentence. Verse 9, Romans 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You, say, say, you see how he says, uh, believe in your heart, not your mind. American culture believes in in our mind we don't believe in our heart those are those are two different things we have trained ourselves to believe cognitively of of something in other words you can say something like um well do you believe that jesus is god yes i cognitively recognize that jesus declared himself god and i believe that that's a truth the problem with that is if you're when you believe in your heart you live like you believe it that's what he's saying you believe in your heart your heart belongs to the lord you believe in your heart. You're going that direction. This would, Again, this would have been a, uh, an unfamiliar concept for the Jewish people at that time, to have a cognitive belief, with, but still have like a physical dissidence or something like that. If you're going to believe, then that means you should look like you believe. If you love something, you should act like you love it, not just say you love it. I've said this to many couples over the years in marriage counseling. Do you love them? Yes. Nobody would buy it. Nobody's believing it. Because you don't act like it. You don't, you don't speak like it. Your life isn't about it. Do you really love Jesus? Then your life will look like it. Do you really believe in your heart, not just in your mind? And that's what he's saying. Declare Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. That is the, That is salvation. I get asked all the time, how do you know that you're saved? Here's the simple answer. Do you love God? I mean, completely, like he said, the two greatest commands, love him with everything about you. If you love God with everything about you and you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're a Christian. doesn't matter if you're making mistakes and doing things that you shouldn't be doing, all that. And, and by the way, I'm not a, an unconditional eternal security guy. I really do believe that you can be saved and then not be saved. I strongly believe that. But I just don't think it's as easy When I was growing up, it was very easy to not be saved. You could could be saved, saved for years and years and years and like like hit your thumb with a hammer and curse, you're no longer saved, you're going to hell forever. That kind of thing, right? I mean, I know out of the abundance, but that's not where I'm going. So the, the idea that you can be saved and not saved, yes, but I don't think it's that easy. I think it's, do you love Jesus with everything about you? You're fine. Work on some things, grow in holiness, that's discipline, all that kind of stuff. But, but I don't believe it's as easy because I don't think it's... How do you fall out of love from, with Jesus instantly? So it's, This is relationship. Now, here's the other side. Let's look at the, the, the other side of this is some of this should be convicting some of you because you may not be loving Jesus. You may just be doing church. You may just be doing the church stuff and, and, and this is the way you grew up or this is the way you're, you know you're supposed to but you're not passionate about Jesus. That should be just as convicting, convicting because I don't think if you're passionate about Jesus I don't think you're a Christian. If you're passionate about Jesus you're a Christian. If you're not, you're not. That's how simple it is. It's not all the doing stuff that we put in there as qualifiers. Do you love the Lord? Then you're on your way to heaven. Are you ready to be married to Him? You're on your way to heaven. If you're cheating on him with whatever comes along, you're not on your way to heaven. It's a relationship. This is what he's saying here. <clears throat> for it is believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. And the cool thing about openly declaring your faith is not only is it a declaration of your salvation, but it's also the, the opportunity for others to be saved. And we, and we take that out of the subject so often. But that's why he says openly declaring that Jesus is Lord. You know, if you're, if you're embarrassed of Jesus on this earth, you're not going to get to heaven. He'll be embarrassed of you is the way that the scripture says it. If you're ashamed of the Lord, he's going to be ashamed of you. Why? It's relationship. Are, are you, do you really love Jesus? Then you're not going to be embarrassed if people know that. It's not going to be a negative thing. In fact, you're going to be talking about it. You're going to be talking about, thank you, Jesus. You're going to be talking about it. Why? Because it's who he is. It's who you are. Your relationship. Right? I mean, we know this stuff. We know this stuff down deep, but it's when it gets into our our daily lives that we become so lazy about this stuff. Are we passionate about Jesus? As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Great sentence. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for... And this, this verse 13 is part of what we call the Romans Road. Romans Road is the, is the, um, the way that you can witness to somebody. You walk through the Romans Road. Now, I, I've told people nowadays, I don't think it's a good idea to Now, you, you can disagree and you can do whatever you want. But me personally, I don't think it's a good idea when you're witnessing to somebody to open a Bible. I think that brings um, connotation into their mind sometimes that disregards the Bible before they hear what it has to say. We've been told that it's a bad thing that all this other stuff, but the, the the truth of Scripture is the only way somebody can get saved. Okay, but I don't necessarily believe. And specifically King James. You open a King James Bible and start reading to somebody. I don't think they're. I think the chance of them getting saved just go way down because they're not even going to understand what you're reading. Right? You, how do I know that most of you don't understand what you're reading when you read the King James? I don't. I don't read the King James very much at all, partly because I also think it's one of the more inaccurate translations, and I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but it is. I study the Bible. This is my job. I recognize bad translations. All right. Down with the King James. Okay, so there I said it. So verse 13 here is part of the Romans road. Um, 323, 623, Romans 10, 13. This is the Romans road. And this is how you tell somebody about Jesus. Just don't read it. So what do you need to do? If you're going to use this tell somebody about Jesus, memorize it. Say it in your words. That's how you get it done. But this is a very important sentence when it comes to salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Guys, this is why we... We here believe we don't have a Calvinist mentality. Calvinism believes in something called limited atonement, which means only some people can be saved. Jesus died for only some people because we don't believe that here. We believe in unlimited atonement. Jesus died for everyone and everyone can be saved. It doesn't matter what they've done or what they haven't done or whatever. Jesus Christ wants to save them. That's why he died on the cross. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is so important that you know this. Because why? Sometimes you'll struggle with it even in your own personal life. I've done this. I've struggled with it. I've questioned whether I'm the everyone sometimes. Specifically, when you do something you know you really shouldn't and you knew ahead of time you shouldn't, you start struggling with that everyone, right? It's amazing how Christians can be the people that will be least allowing of grace of Jesus Christ to come into their life sometimes. That that we push forgiveness back because we understand it so well and we've had so much grace in our life that when we really do something wrong, we can push Jesus off to the corner and say, he no longer forgives me. Because somehow we had convinced ourselves that by living for him a long time, we had earned a specific place in the kingdom of God. And we forgot that it's the blood of Jesus that gives you that place in the kingdom of God. not Not... The way you think about it or what you've done or haven't done. It's the blood of Jesus that forgives you guys. That's that's it. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now obviously we know that that didn't just mean saying the name of Jesus. That means calling on him from your heart, right? And how can they call on him unless to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? We're seeing this more and more in America today. I come across people regularly that really don't know who Jesus is. They've heard the word. Most time, it's a cuss word to their, in their minds, but, but they don't really know who Jesus is. And I, but th- this is, and I believe this strongly. I believe this. If you can truly introduce, introduce Jesus to somebody and they really see Him, I don't I don't see how they can walk away from that. Now, I've seen people do it, but it's very few and far between. When you can really introduce Jesus, not introduce your church thinking or theology, but if they can just catch a glimpse, or or another way to say it, if if, if Jesus just kind of grabs onto their heart. And they're never the same. They're never the same. Even if they don't get saved right then, they're never the same. Because Jesus is so big and so amazing. And, and, and just His love, you can sense the, the depth of love that can't come from any other place. Those kind of things. So they, how are they going to believe if they've never heard about Him? How are they going to hear about Him unless someone tells them? Who is the someone? Raise your hand. You're the someone. You know this. I know this. Because we just don't follow through sometimes. You're the someone. How are they going to know unless you tell them? How are they going to know? Every one of you here, somebody told you about Jesus. You owe a lot to that person. It was probably a culmination of a lot of people, right? But there was a moment when you said, I need Jesus as my Savior. And if you haven't said that, we are going to pray about that here a little bit. But there is a moment in time when you say, I need Jesus. Why? Somebody told you. You didn't just get it. Somebody told you. Somebody probably was praying for you. And they told you, and you got it. I remember, I always always talk about this lady. my sixth grade Sunday school class, her name was Bertha. We met up in the uh, top of a, like the, 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 uh, Church had like a uh, balcony, and we met in these rooms behind the balcony. They were storage rooms, but the church had grown a lot, and so they put all the sixth grade boys in the storage room because you know whatever. And there was about twenty of us, twenty five of us in that room, and we'd go up there, and 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 Bertha was just an amazing woman of grace, and I mean she was pretty hard too. She would she would hit us, but um, <laughs> sometimes your sixth grader boy just needs hit. He just need. I mean, just hit them. Just hit them. Everybody will feel better. <laughs> but I remember her. She was so adamant about the gospel, so adamant about teaching us and praying with us. Every single week, she would pray for every one of us, and she would pray things. One of the reasons she stuck out to me also is I was always a short kid. I was always shorter than everybody else. And she would tell me every single week something about, you know, my son was really short when he was growing up, and he's six one now. I was like, I can do it i remember that guys there's somebody there's somebody that has cared enough for you to tell you make sure that you are somebody that cares enough about somebody else to tell them that's the only way they know this is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news the greatest thing you can do in the kingdom of god is tell somebody about jesus that's the greatest thing that there is. But not everyone welcomes the good news. We're seeing that right now today. Remember the last days, it says that people will believe a lie. That means they know it's a lie, but they are voluntarily choosing to embrace it into their life as reality and truth. But they know it's a lie. I, I can't understand that kind of thinking. That doesn't sound rational to me. But I don't believe it is rational is, is part of the deal. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. So we've got to have faith. And faith comes from God's word. Faith chases out fear. And it comes from God's word. So how do you combat fear in your life? You get in God's word. And you internalize it. You don't just read it. You internalize it. You let it become part of you. That's why memorizing scripture is a cool thing to do. I did this for years and years. Now you can do this much easier on <clears throat> phones and tablets and stuff. But years and years I would take little note cards and I'd write a scripture on it. And I would keep a handful of these note cards in my pocket all the time. I had little, you know what I'm talking about, little note cards. And I'd keep these in my pocket all the time. And any time you're sitting around doing whatever, you pull that out and you read it and you memorize it. I'd memorize a lot of scripture over the years that way. Well, memorizing alone is not the big deal. But you'll be amazed at how once you've got it inside of you and it becomes part of you, uh, God will bring it up at the right moment. And then memorization actually becomes the stepping stone to life exploding into your life when God needs it to happen. Because it's not your words or your confidence that's going to rule the day. It's God's word that brings faith. And that's not the same as confidence. That's totally different. You can live your life on faith. Confidence can wane. It's the same thing about miracles happening. Think about this. When miracles happen, and you see that that'll that'll grow your faith, and that and Scripture tells us that it'll grow your faith. But what'll happen is over time you will you will um, distance yourself from the visual moment of that miracle. But God's word in your heart will bring the reality of that miracle as truth into your existence. It's not just a memory that can emotionally spark faith. It is it is God's true words that builds honest faith. From that miracle. Those are two different things. And for a long time, the church, specifically back 40s, 50s, and 60s, when a lot of the miracle uh, healing crusades and stuff were happening, God was doing some really big, amazing stuff. Why did it eventually go away? I think one of the reasons is because we were too uh, focused on seeing it rather than internalizing it. Making it my theological reality rather than, well, if so-and-so prays for me, and that was another problem with the mentality, if so-and-so prays for me, then I'll be healed. That wasn't the plan. The plan is you are a person of faith. You are the one that prays. You are the one that declares God. You are the one that declares his word. You're the one that declares the gospel. Not special people. This is the reason, I know I mention this sometimes, but to make sure you understand, we do things intentionally around here. This is the reason why I'm not one of the prayer partners. You understand what I said? Because for years and years, when I was growing up, when I was a youth pastor, even as a pastor, you had to be prayed for by either the pastor or the special speaker or something else. Guys, why aren't you, why aren't you the one? Because we told ourselves it's somebody else. It's the personality. It's the important person. When Jesus got up from that nap, he was taken in the boat, he looked at him and said, why don't you have faith? Why can't you do this? That's why our prayer partners are, are the, not me. I didn't know how I was going to come out with that one. They're the slow ones around here. We're letting, no, that's not what I'm, it's not me, right? Who are the prayer partners? You. Now, yes, we choose the prayer partners. It's intentional. It's intentional. Because we also believe Scripture says the elders that that's not an age that's a spiritual, right? But, but guys, we, we believe in, in you praying, you being anointed by the Holy Spirit, you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. that's what Jesus wants to do with you. you're the messenger of the gospel, you're the one that does this. The third thing, we must shine the light of Jesus now going back up in Mark. Um, to the top of, uh, up in in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. Now think about it. Why would you put a light under a basket? There's not a whole lot of reasons. The main reason is it's too bright. Right? Right? Why else would you put a light under a basket? You don't want somebody to see it. This is a big thing for my wife. She got it from her father. But she gets very upset when, when there's a lot of bright lights on. She says they're too loud. Now, I know you're like, I don't think that's, that's, your, that's your ears, not your eyes. Yeah, this, I'm just telling you the way it is. She says it's too loud. She used to get mad at the kids. The first thing, when, like driving in the car when they were little, the first thing she would do when she got mad at the kids Turn off the radio, because she couldn't get in a good, healthy mad if there was noise. <laughs> right? And you you, you want to be, be focused. You want to be in the zone. And she'll tell me that all the time. Turn off the lights are too loud. That's why you hide a light. It's shining too bright. Isn't that it? What other reason would you come up with? The reason you put a light under a basket is because... It's too bright. And here's what I have been watching for a long time, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it's growing. There is major chunks of the church in America today that believe the light is too bright. This is important. We're scared to say what truth is, and we're scared to shine true light because it's too bright. So we back off on things like abortion. We back away from it. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't do it. But there are are young ladies that are being saved from this before they have an abortion if we can shine the light. We've got testimonies right here in our church of of the reality of that. You shine the light, they recognize the truth, and it changes them. Guys, we've got to have that. This This is truly about Jesus being in charge, not what we think needs to be happening. right? So... He says, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. And that's huge. You can dim the light all you want, but, but the light will shine through. The, the light will shine through. It just may not be from you or involve you. And that's the tragedy. Because the light's still going to shine through. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he added, pay, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. The more you listen. to He's obviously talking about God's word, right? The more you listen to God's word, the more understanding you will have. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away. That's where we are as a country. That's why you can look at something that is not truth and you can call it truth. Stay where you are. Don't, don't stand. We're going to take communion together. And I thought, you know, this is, this, is, this is important for us to process it this way, okay? The, the reality of what communion is, the truth of what communion is this, is, this is how we get saved. Jesus really did die on the cross, okay? He really did die on the cross. Now, I would strongly suggest that you open up um, your packet, not the juice, but the top one right now. So when we get time to take the bread, you can actually do that because these are tricky little things, but they're COVID free, right? So, so here's the reality of this. Jesus said he, he really did die on the cross. He did rise from the dead. And that is our hope. This is why we take communion because we're remembering what Jesus did. But it also, and we're going to read the scripture, it also says that you proclaim this until he comes back. This is a right now for you and I, and this is also a future thing. Now, there's two things I always do when I'm taking communion. I'm going to do both of those this morning. When I take the bread, I always pray, God, heal me. Heal those in the room. Because why? Scripture tells us it's the stripes that Jesus took on His body that heals us. And when He takes that bread with these disciples and He breaks this bread, that is the visualization of His body that's about to be broken. So what better time to, to pray for healing than while you're thinking, praying, and remembering that Jesus did it for our healing. So anything going on in this room, whatever's happening physically, let's pray that God will heal us. Yes. Right? You say, well, you know, I, like, like Diane said in the video, well, I had prayed many times. Okay, then what's it going to hurt to pray one more? Pray and just let God do this. And then when we, when we get ready to take the uh, drink together, I always pray, Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean. I don't want to take this for granted. I, I don't want to, as, as it says further down in 11 that I'm going to read, that don't, don't take this unworthily. Don't take it casually. Because this, this is a real thing. It's a serious thing. And that the Lord is, is we're, we're, we're opening our lives up spiritually to this. Don't play around with it. So we're also going to, every one of us in this room, we're going to ask Jesus to forgive us and wash us clean. Doesn't that make sense? On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces. Why the breaking? His body was broken. He broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Lord, we submit ourselves to you right now. God, we submit ourselves to your word. You said all through your word that we can depend on you, that we can trust you, that our faith can be in you, that you are the healer, that you are the provider. Lord, we remember that you provided all of that on the cross. That's when it took place, including our healing. You provided it on the cross. So, Lord, I ask as we, as we take this prayer that you heal all through this room, That you heal all through this room. Physically, undeniable miracles. Lord, we thank you. We thank you because you loved us enough to go through the agony of the cross so that we could be healed. Lord, help us not to take it lightly. Help us to stop questioning whether you want to heal or you can heal or you're going to heal. Lord, you provided on the cross. Help us to respect that and know it. That you did this on the cross. We thank you. We thank you. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. What we're about to do is not only right now for us to remember, but it is also prophetic that we should be stirred to know that Jesus is coming back, that he is. Lord, we ask you to wash us clean with your blood. Jesus, wash us clean. God, get in my mind, my spirit, my heart. Wash me clean. In Jesus' name. Wash me clean. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for grace. Lord, help us to believe it, to know it, to stand on your word that we are forgiven. And then, Lord, also help us to tell others about this. Name of Jesus.
1: Let's take the drink
0: together. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Thank you that you forgave me. Lord, thank you that you've allowed every one of us in this room to be forgiven. Now, Lord, stir our hearts that we will take this to people. If there are people all around us needing you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody. He will honor that in your life. You know he will honor that in your life. So, shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And uh, we will, some of you I'm going to see tonight, or, or right very soon, for lunch. And uh, the rest of you will see Wednesday night or next week. Have a great rest of your week.